What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Ask PG Braun. And before I get into my special guest, I'm like super excited this week. Uh, the Beat PJ is back, and I will start answering all your questions on the podcast. But until then, you can get me on my cardio Q&A every day at 10 Eastern, and I will answer literally anything that you ask me. Now, I am super, super excited about this guest, and I made a joke today in my uh, story on Instagram that uh, I am always excited about all my guests, but Dr. Chris Dano has quickly become a very good buddy of mine, and we met a very interesting way that I'm not even going to get too much into because he's going to come down here and we're going to do some video stuff. And he got me very, very into ozone therapy. I'm going to have him talk about that in a minute. But I want to give you guys a, a, a grand introduction to how cool this guy is, how many things that he's done. And this is going to come across very, very um, fanboyish. But I am his fanboy, so that's okay. So for starters... Listen to this bio right here. For starters, Dr. Chris is a world-renowned speaker, and you will see as we start going, we're probably going to talk a lot. He's an author. He is a former Mr. America, Mr. Universe, which, by the way, we sponsor every year. Uh, He is, of course, IFBB Pro Bodybuilder. That's what happens when you win the universe. And what I thought was the most awesome thing about all of this, because that's a great stat sheet right there, is... After defying a deadly terminal disease, which he's going to talk about as we go on in his early 20s, uh, Dr. Zeno leveraged his experience to get his doctorate and becoming one of the largest wellness clinics in the world. You guys know I'm very passionate about that. Seeing thousands weekly in regenerative medicine, stem cells, male vitality. And he has created a product called project called the I Am Hero Project, which I would like to say a couple of things that I've really gotten involved in right now are because of uh, Dr. Zana, where are the coffee enemas and of course the ozone therapy that we're going to talk about in a little bit. And really, he's just a, a very positive and motivating guy. And if I didn't suck him off enough, I can keep on going. He's very handsome, by the way, uh, which you guys will see when you watch, watch the video. But uh, hello, Dr. Chris. Thank you very much for coming on and, and jumping on the show with us. PJ. Brother, awesome. And thank you for everybody who's watching and listening. And uh, you'll get a lot of value, guaranteed. Did I, did I uh, do you enough justice in that? In that? Well, you, you know, I was, uh, I, it all goes back to Rocky Three when they introduced Hulk Hogan and Thunderlips. Like, that to me is the ultimate intro. <laughs> that is a hell, that is <laughs> so, a hell of an intro. <laughs> that's my 10. So if that's a 10, I, I mean, you did pretty good now. Okay. We'll <laughs> um, now, we we always wing the podcast, so we're, yeah, we're, we're going to wing it. But I I would like to no nobody that I know really knows anything about ozone therapy, and I just said that you have got me into ozone therapy. So yeah. before we go back in time to your beginning, do you want to tell everybody about ozone therapy? And obviously, if they go and Google it, they're going to see a bunch of different things right now. Yeah. What you have me doing uh, is much different. So I guess let's let's give them. Uh, a layman's perspective of what ozone yeah. therapy is, you know, so our, our regular listeners can kind of yeah. understand. So ozone therapy, you know, oxygen's O2, you know, this is O3, right? It has that extra oxygen molecule. And ozone therapy, it, it, it increases the digestible oxygen of the body. That's the key word, digestible, like what your body's able to actually absorb and retain of oxygen. But the way ozone works 
you know, a lot of times we get our oxygen, of course, through our lungs. It, it, it has to go through a different pathway than lungs because your lungs can only make it uh, digestible so much. So you could have like intravenous ozone, right? You could do it that way or, inter, you know, intrarectal encephalation where you actually got to go, you know, up the butt, right, to, to be able to get that in there so it's absorbed by the colon. But it's tremendous. What it does is, number one, it at the cellular level, it helps detox the cell tremendously. Because just think, we don't just say the organ. I mean, every organ is broken down to cells. So if you just look at the cellular level, it detoxes the cell with the amount of oxygen. It increases mitochondria, which is the powerhouse of the cell, and detoxification. So that's where the extra energy and power comes from and longevity. Then what I love about it, when it comes to viruses, bacteria, and parasites. So when used uh, intrarectally, as we'll talk about today, because I believe the colon is the digestive tract plays such a huge role in your chemistry, in the absorption of your nutrients, your food, your mood. When that's healed correctly, it actually does a couple things. The ozone will actually deactivate bacteria, like in dysbiosis and SIBO and all these other, you know, if you guys have been on antibiotics, chances are you got some type of dysbiosis in the gut. It, uh, it deactivates virus. Viruses has even been shown to deactivate deactivate the herpes, you know, shingles, all these other viruses that are that are known as nervous system viruses that stay with you forever. This has been able to show and clear that out indefinitely. And what I love about it parasite-wise, it mitigates parasites. It gets that gets those things out of your body. And it's just a tremendous health benefit. And what I like about it, it's efficient, it's easy, and but but let's look at it this way. It's just a, it's a piece of the puzzle of this tremendous puzzle of putting your body in an environment, that's what they put your body in the environment to be able to heal and function better. So that's why we eat a certain way. Like you just want to make it, as long as that body's in the environment, the host is strong, then it has the best way of adapting to whatever the heck's going on, pandemically or not, you know, you're in the best chance of adapting and staying healthy long-term. So, and uh, if you want to, we could talk more about how I found out about it. And I found out about it because I had two buddies that actually flew overseas, they had cancer. We were same age, same profession. One had melanoma into the lymph nodes. Looks like he had a roll of grapes underneath his armpit. Another buddy had five tumors. They went to Marbella, Spain, where, by the way, guys, outside of this country, uh, cancer treatments in natural, holistic ways are very prominent Mm -hmm. and very successful to the point where this doctor was even bored of it, right? And uh, these guys came back three and a half weeks later in remission. And so when I asked him, well, what, you know, I don't have cancer, but I want to know what you're doing because whatever they were doing was putting the body in the right environment to heal. Then they started telling me the things they were doing, and they, PJ, they were super simple. Like I was like, that's it? That's it because we're told in this country, you know, cut, poison, burn when it comes to cancer, mm-hmm. chemo and all this stuff. But it was like, really? Really? How, how long did you do that? Ozone and hyperthermia, all these little things, oxygen chambers. And uh, I started implementing as many of those as possible that I could honestly see during my day would be efficient. You know, I'm not going to totally go out of my way, but it, it, you know, for one, well, like you said, one or two minutes a day, uh, it's absolutely worth it. So well, it's a great investment. We, we, uh, we met because of Jen Strobo, mm-hmm. um, who knew that I, uh, I had a little, uh, I have a condition, I'm not going to get too into it today, but one of the things that I have said publicly is that I had Epstein-Barr virus and I had a couple other things going on, and she said you should really talk to, uh, you know, my buddy, Dr. Chris, and we had a great conversation, and um, coincidentally, um, 
Sammy, who you guys have known, have worked for me for a while. He knew that I was going through some stuff. He 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 loves to research and experiment with new things. He had told me that there was a place locally that was doing ozone therapy. So I started reading about it a little bit myself, and the place that's doing it locally is uh, doing it through IV. And so it was already in my head when we spoke, and it was so nice to speak to a doctor that was so passionate about something because many doctors, unfortunately, they, they don't, I don't want to say they have no knowledge, but they, they, a lot of them don't, of any of the holistic or homeopathic or, or really modern new techniques of treating the body. You know, they want you to, to take this medicine or do this therapy and, and that's it. So you can't really find this information unless you find a specialist, you know, like yourself or the guys that you found. So after we spoke, I started implementing it every day. Now, down the road when I have Dr. Chris come back, we're going to do an awesome video and really get into it more. You guys know I love doing videos on how to become, I always say, how to become superhuman. And I've been doing videos for years on IV therapies and glutathione and, uh, you know, cryotherapy and all kinds of stuff. So this will be an awesome video when we do it. But Today, I want to go back to the beginning, and I want you guys to know some of the things that I know and I want to learn myself about Dr. Chris. So when you go back in time to your childhood, right, we're not going to get all weird and philosophical now, but (laughs) were you playing sports that like took you into bodybuilding? Because I find that so much of the stuff that we do is centered around bodybuilding, but but what got you to the bodybuilding? Yeah. Oh, no, PG. Here, let me show you this right here. I'll show you. All right. So, um, like most people, like, you know, back when I was growing up, like it was either Arnold or Stallone got mm-hmm. you, mainly Arnold got you into bodybuilding. Um, sports, I, I look way more athletic than I am uh, sports-wise, but it was my dad. Now, my dad had me. At an older age, he was 47 when he had me, but he had just this really good build. And I always have this picture. I wonder if you could see it. Yeah, yeah showed me that. So that was amazing. My, that was my dad at 17. Amazing. So back in 19, 1948. So at in 1948, like he was considered a freak, right? And I mean, where was like, he working out? Because there there wasn't many gyms back right. then. BJ, he found a bar with cement blocks, and he would do these. Ass backwards exercise. He, when he showed me how to do exercise, I'm like, that's totally ass backwards. <laughs> <laughs> he would eat salami sandwiches. <laughs> and what? So, what's your your ethnic background? Um, Italian. Ital- well, it's funny. Like, I, I'm su- I'm supposed to be half Italian from my dad's side, mm-hmm. and half Italian from my mom's side. I, I mean, half Syrian from my mom's side. But I got the genetic testing done. And uh, let me just let's go back to that. I'll share a badass story um, about that and kind of what I found out. Uh, so yeah, that'll be a really good story. Everybody will enjoy that one. So 50, 50, that's supposedly it's different now, but uh, I'll tell you that later. But yeah, so that was, uh, you know, he just grew up in New York and he would go on the beach and he was about 165 pounds, 170. And yeah, so his identity was, you know, his build, he was strong and I wanted to be just like my dad, man. So, uh, I was kind of a, but I was, a, a, an emotionally eating kid, you know? So when you have half Italian and half Syrian, everything's around food, mm. every good, bad, in different thing there's food everywhere and uh food was comfort my dad would be the guy with the gallon of wine at, at, at the meal and uh so i would i would drown my boredom in food and i was that you know I, I shopped in the husky section when i was a kid so that wasn't good 
So when we moved, I moved from New York to Florida at 12, and my dad's like, when we move to Florida, like most New Yorkers do, mm-hmm. I'll get you a gym set. So he got me a gym set. Yeah, yeah, I got it. And so in Were my they the room, sand weights? Had, huh? Were they the sand-filled ones? No, 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 no. This was like, this was good. Let me get it. Hold on. So he got me this... Uh, no, a Pacific Fitness, dude. It was oh, that's nice. Joke, that's dude. nice. Yeah, my, my biological father dropped off a bunch of rusty bars, and the old, some of the old timers will remember the 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 weights that were filled with sand, <laughs> yeah. and they fit on those skinny bars, and that's what I had when I, when I was young. But that's how I started. Yeah, with the screw, with the screw. Yeah, uh, yep. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I started doing that at twelve, and I kind of had a. I definitely had an eating disorder, but I just couldn't throw up. So I clearly had an eating disorder because I wanted to get thin, and I responded real well. You know, I mean, my my body took to it. And then at 12 or 13, I'm getting attention for how I look or my arms. And so now I'm getting significance. I'm getting people are seeing me where I was this quiet, introverted kid, and I'm getting I'm getting attention for something. So shit. When I get that attention, like I poured, I became obsessed or actually obsessed because it's like, this is kind of my identity, you know, and I got to keep it up. And, and, uh, people were rooting for me to break bench records and stuff like that. So I really, so bodybuilding gave me this, this, uh, identity. It gave me an obsession. It kept me out of trouble. Like I never drank, you know, so I would, I would pour out beer. So in parties. high school, you didn't, you didn't get, you know, get hammered at parties and stuff. No, I, I poured out the beer and oh, filled it bad. up with water. And I would drink water out of the beer bottle, That's the beer great. can. And then college, the same way. It kept me out of trouble, kept me out of being promiscuous. Yeah, I was just – and uh, at by seven uh, – but I got really – I was a real big – back then, and we'll talk about, like, you could change your body type. Like, you know, people say you're endo and you're meso. Mm-hmm. I was a big endomorph, and so I was just really bulky. The only crack I – only cut I had was the one in my ass. <laughs> and – I think I went from 98 pounds to 207, and then the only way I could get this shit off was I got to do a show. So I did the Junior Florida when I was 18 in 1997 or 96. Oh, we started young. And that was the the beginning. That's when the bodybuilding started. I got second in the Open at at, uh, 18, and uh, I won my first overall at uh, 19 or 20, the Mid-Florida Classic. When you were were in high school— were you yep. one of the only guys that were working out like that? Um, to the consistency, like I would do whole body workouts, yep. one at the gym, and then when I got PJ, I stacked, I stacked my entire weight machine. And my dad was like, I was doing it for like twenty, thirty reps. My dad's like, I'm not getting you more weight. You need to go to the gym now. Like he refused to get me more weight. He's like, I'm not going to get you more weight. You need to do thirty reps. And so I went up going to the Y. So I would do two full body workouts. Or I would skip legs, <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah. So when I, I responded real well, and but the discipline, I just think it was the consistency and discipline because um, it, it meant so much to me because it was the thing I was getting positive attention for. Now, when and you so when why. you did your first show, yeah, I'm gonna, and I'm going to tell a story about what I learned at my first show. The show that you did, did you train? I, I say the word naturally. Were there were steroids around yet at that age? You know, now no. now you got guys using steroids very very young. So no. f- first show, did you go in completely natural? Like, did you did you know what to expect when you got there? Yeah, no, yeah, I was completely natural until twenty one. Mm-hmm. Actually, actually, after my dad died, that was part of my grieving process. Uh, 
Jesus. But I no, no, I went right in because I was like two hundred and twenty five pounds. I'm like, oh, I'll be, I'll be two ten. <laughs> what did you weigh in at that show? Like one sixty eight. You know, because <laughs> I had to get down to that. It was clean. I did, you know, and I, I, I read a. It was a book called Sliced. It had Chris Aceto, mm-hmm. Laura Cavell. Yeah, it was about carb cycling, and I did it all on my own. You know, I didn't know anything different. I did. I I drank all this coffee and did cardio twice a day, and you know, I, I lost probably a lot of muscle, but I, I did it, and uh, I got second as the middleweight. And yeah, but I was I was flat, and you listen to every peep. I over dehydrated. I you know I stopped drinking water, and uh, it, it was I uh, rebounded really bad. So it was definitely a a first, uh, but it was very, but second place was, I tell people it was the best thing that could ever happen because I mean, second means you're almost there. Yeah. So it really got me excited to then, uh, the next year I did the Tampa Bay classic. Then I did the mid Florida. Then I did the Mr. America. Then I did the muscle mania, you know, I, I uh, all that stuff in there. And so. you started at 18 and just kept going to 22. Wow. 22. So I didn't even start into, well, I started bodybuilding when I was 13, but I didn't compete until I was 22. And my first show, I picked the Bev Francis uh, Atlantic States, right? Huge show back then in the Tribeca Performing Arts Center. And all of my older uh, bodybuilding buddies were like, when they found out what I was doing, they were like, no, 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 you can't do the show, you can't do the show. And I said, why? And they said, that's a drug show. And at the time I was also competing as a a drug-free power lifter. And I said, so? And they were like, you got to do a, 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 a drug free show. And I, I uh, people are going to get offended by this. But I looked at those guys and I'm like, but those guys all suck. And they said, yeah, but you're going to get your ass kicked. And I said, well, I want to do this as hard as I can and see how I look. And then I'll just know. I'll, I'll know for myself. I'm going to go in as hard as I could. So I trained as hard as I could. I was like 230 when I started and I dieted all the way down to uh, 189 pounds. I couldn't believe that I was that light. Just like you, I stopped drinking water on on Thursday for a Saturday show. I was so dehydrated by the time yeah. I got there. And I got fifth in the light heavyweight class. There was 27 guys in the class. And the fact that I was called out in that first group, I was hooked right there. And when I left, I talked to some guys backstage. And one of the guys uh, who was actually very well known in, in the industry, I'm not going to say his name, he goes, you're natural, aren't you? And I said, yeah, you can tell. And he like laughed a little bit and he goes, he goes, you're going to be good. And so that him saying that I went home and I told my buddy, I was like, I got to get on some juice now. I did it all the way. You guys didn't think that I could do it. Now I got to get on. And that, that doing that show that way, it, it lit a fire under, under my ass. And then obviously the, the rest is history. I competed for 10 years after that, but I love hearing how people got started because some of these guys, you know, they're, they're 16 years old. They decide that they're going to get into bodybuilding. And the first thing they do is they get on some trend and some other stuff oh, that nice. they read. And they, yeah. you know, they, they, they read these crazy stories about these guys. And, and they screw themselves up so bad without even knowing what their real potential is first. You see it no, all like, the time. You know, a million percent. Yeah. And the way I thought about it, PJ, was, you know, doing it clean, doing the shows clean. I realized, okay, so... And here's the thing. I'm like, these guys are older. They have mm-hmm. better muscle maturity. They've been training longer. They're on drugs. They're taking diuretics. So I realized, but instead of like, and that was their choice, just as was my choice. I yeah. could do the same thing. And even the playing field, I'm like, or I could just take instead of 12 weeks to diet, maybe I'm going to have to take 24. Uh, maybe I have to do a little bit more cardio. Uh, I can't really cheat on those meals. You know what I mean? And just, it was just a matter of a little bit of extra time and 
making sure I was conditioned. And then I would beat guys in their 30s that were tanking for years and stuff like that. So I just loved the discipline of it. And then really, when I did make the switch, uh, we could talk about when I made the switch, it was just, you know, I thought, oh, wow, like Ronnie Coleman. Now I'm going to turn it on. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't that dramatic. Mm-hmm. You know, it was. Uh, yes, conditioning was ridiculous, but uh, size wise, not much. But my conditioning was far by like crazy. How but, much uh, the- how much did you practice posing when you first started? Um, a half hour a day, about six weeks out. So much, and and it's it's funny. The the I don't want to. I, I people say I sound like my grandpa now. I'm always bashing the younger guys, but I feel like there's so much less emphasis and practice that goes into the posing now. And you watch a lot of the shows, and the guys can't hold their poses, and they shake. And one of the things they said about Big Rami at the Olympia this year, uh, Weinberger said this actually, was that he hit his poses first. And then held them longer than anybody else. So while these other guys were doing all the dramatics and this and that, yeah. he, he hit his pose with confidence and just held it. And they said he practiced so much. And I feel like when you put that much time into posing, it does a lot for your physique. Sure. It does a lot for your conditioning. Uh, it does a lot for burning calories, the shape of the muscle. I think that it's it's really uh, underutilized now. So I, I, I remember when I was uh, training for my first show, uh, I did most of it myself, but I had this one woman uh, that we used to meet uh, every day after I worked out, and we would pose for anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes, literally every day, no matter how tired I was. But when the showtime came around, I always felt like I could hold the poses forever up there, and I, I think that the judges see that, and they appreciate that too. Do you remember the first song that you posed to? Um, yes, it was uh, it was the soundtrack from Rocky Four, the training sequence song. <laughs> oh, that's great. So you're a big Rocky guy then. Yeah, oh my God, it was the first movie I've ever seen with my dad. It was the first movie I showed my three-year-old son. That's good. Did you yeah. Did you like then, so you must have appreciated Guy Cisternino's version of, uh, of oh, Rocky. Oh, dude, and I love the entire thing. He did a really good, he did a really good Balboa, for sure. He was good. I, I always called him the uh, the, the Rocky of, uh, of bodybuilding, so it was funny. I posed to um, I Stand Alone by Godsmack was the, was the, the yeah, first yeah, song yeah. I posed to. Then the second song I ever posed to was by Hatebreed, and the judges told me, do not, ever posed to anything that crazy ever again. I think I scared a bunch of people. So um, I always like to see, I, I, I don't want to say I judge guys, but the different songs that people pick to pose to, I think it kind of says a little bit about their character, like whether they pose to like sexy love ma- making music or if they pose to rock or something intense. I, I, get, I get a big kick out of that when I watch the posing routines. Yeah, mine was more symphonic, and the next one I used a lot. And then when I found a good routine, I kept it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the next one was from the uh, – in 1990, there was a movie called Godzilla that came out in, ni- in the 90s and had a really good uh, theatrical uh, symphonic uh, soundtrack, and I used the one from Godzilla. It was mm. great. And I mixed a couple things, you know, with your cassette tapes. Your yeah, tapes. <laughs> the good old days. Yeah, and uh, – but uh, back to the posing. You know, the reason why I started so far out is because – I knew I, I believe I believe in the concept of hard easy versus easy hard, and this is something everything PJ and I talk about today should be applied to business. And and when it is, you should be every bodybuilder should be like a multimillionaire because you have this, the greatest success principle of discipline and staying in there the longest. But hard easy means if I if I just go hard now, it's going to be easy at the end. Mm-hmm. But if I take the easy way out now. It's going to be hard later on. So if I pose six weeks out, so near the end, if I do have that tired day and you're like, ah, and and 
that's not the time, you know, I need to have my posing down. And so those at the end, when it gets a little bit really difficult and I might have to take a break here and there, like I already put the work in. So I always think taking the, just go hard, you know, hard, easy, always go hard. And then it gets easier, uh, in your life. You know, if you're working your butt off now, life will be easy later on versus the other way. When you were doing all these shows, were you in school still? Yeah, I was in school. I was in school. And, and then uh, I, I graduated at 17. Mm-hmm. Uh, col- uh, college, I gra- no, no, no. High school, I graduated at 17. College, I graduated at 20. And so, yeah, 2021, I was, uh, then I was just personal training. I was a personal trainer with a degree in exercise physiology in Orlando, Florida. I worked at Universal Studios, Florida. I was working with the the Xena Warrior Princess crew. Really? Uh, for the show, yeah. yeah what I were you doing? And training. And, you know, they did all their filming in New Zealand. Yeah. So we did New Zealand and, and uh, B-roll in, our, in Universal Studios. So in your 20s, you're like, oh, I'm set. And I was doing cover magazines. So did you go to New Zealand? Yeah. Oh, cool. Zealand, yeah. Yeah, what was, was her name? Great, she was great. hot. Um, who Lucy was Lawless. Lucy Lawless, yeah. Yeah. Wow, you're, that's a blast from the past. So that's a Dude, cool. That's a I cool was story. like, I'm thinking to myself, why was I so shy then? I should have just made a move. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> she wound up doing one of those um, Spartacus or whatever, one of those shows later on, and she was super hot in that too. Um, I don't know if it was oh, Spartacus. Yeah. It was one of those like uh, whatever Greek Greek Roman Empire shows. She 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 uh, she aged really well. So that's that's neat. I didn't I didn't know that. So when did you? go from all this bodybuilding and, and fun stuff to uh, finding out that you were sick? Well, that, that was it. So, you know, my dad died at 21. I won the Mr. America. My dad died that same year. And he died and of I what? Re- What's up? Renal cell carcinoma. It was his third time with cancer. Wow. And so I remember, like, how am I going to cope with it? And I remember this. This is the, the steroid story. So I walked in. There was a, a guy at a show that says, hey, listen, um, if you train with me, I'll turn you pro. And like, there was one of those, those stories. So I remember I just, I walked in and I, uh, slapped down the money and I'm like, I need everything I need. And, uh, sure. And then, and then I, I uh, did the Southeastern USA. I got, I won that. And then I didn't make it to nationals PJ because my mind was going crazy. Cause I wasn't, uh, I was just exhausted. I was eating zero fat. You throw in clombuterol and trend. Like I just, I, I I didn't want to do it anymore. I'll I'll tone so my body's thing. rebounding mm-hmm. and he's like stay on it until the nationals, which was three weeks later. Insane. I'm like I can't stay on this ship. Insane. <laughs> and uh, I I pulled out of nationals and I went into like a good funk depression because I was using it as my coping mechanism for mourning. So uh, it was like self punishment. And uh, I remember Peter Potter. You know he was the head judge, mm-hmm. and I'm up there on diuretics and I just can't even hold the poses and I'm sitting there going what like you know you in the moment I'm like what the hell am I doing to myself and uh so yeah so I I just went did personal training and then about two years later sure enough uh that's when the digestive problems started that's when I started bleeding blood and I didn't know what it was thinking it would go away and I got worse and worse and worse and that's when I was diagnosed with uh incurable disease called ulcerative colitis so this became the blessing of my life that just became a shift or a journey or like a cosmic wake-up call alarm clock that entered me into the greatest era of my life. But it sucked during that time. So we when you when that. you first, because I think people uh, often get confused when they hear stories like this. 
Yeah. Can you describe the difference between like sometimes people will be like, oh, you know, there was blood when I pooped, but it's often just like you, know, you have a hemorrhoid and you got to cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you start like really like bleeding like that, yeah. is it coming out dark? Is it every day? Like like elaborate on that. So if there's anybody yeah. at home that notices yeah. this, because I had a friend two years, didn't do anything about it. And he wound up having a very accelerated cancer and the poor guy died. Yeah, so it first starts off with like loose stool mm -hmm. and then diarrhea. And then when you're a bodybuilder with a little bit of diarrhea, in the beginning it's not bad because you're like, shit, I could eat a hamburger. I could eat all this food and, and get away with it. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we think sometimes. And then the diarrhea, then nothing gets solid. And then you're just kind of like, coping, ah, you know, all right, big deal, no big deal. And then it gets to the point where uh, then you just start seeing blood. And yeah, you're right, it's a mixture of, like, you know, bright, mainly like dark, dark blood, bright and dark. And then every time you go to the bathroom, it looks like cranberry juice. Yeah, that's scary. And you're like, yeah, yeah, it's scary. Nothing's formed. No matter what you eat, you see food come out exactly the way it went in. And uh, the transit time, I noticed, I counted once, it was like three hours. You know, so stuff's going right through me. And then you start losing weight. Went from 2.30. And then when I started doing all the the medical procedures, down to 158 pounds in about three months. And what medical procedures were you doing? So you know what I—I I mean, well, let, let's. I always, I always, you got, you got to always allow me to tell this part of it. And this is, this is because this is part of me healing. Um, I didn't do anything about it, guys, because I thought it would just go away. Then I, when I knew something was wrong, and I looked up blood and stool, and you're right, it said cancer. And I'm thinking, my dad had cancer, my grandfather had cancer. Shit, do I have it at 26, 25? And then uh, I didn't do anything about it. Listen to this. I didn't do anything about it until I until I lost my bowels in public at a TJ Maxx. Like, I, I mean, it literally took me shitting my pants in public because I couldn't hold it anymore in front of 40 people. And you weren't just shitting your pants. It's blood and mucus. And you got jeans on. Like, it looked like looked like some, it looked like probably my lower half exploded. And what's going and, on in your mind when that's happening? Um, Are you, like, terrified? Or you're, obviously, you're embarrassed, but... Oh, embarrassed, rock bottom. Again, it was like when I was standing on stage about to pass out on that show from Direx thinking, what the, like, what were, the hell? Were what you the alone? Coming me? Huh? Were you alone? Yeah, I was alone. Because I had a routine. Everywhere I went, I would look at the bathrooms, make sure they were there. Because it wasn't just a physical disease anymore, guys. Like, when you got to go to the bathroom all the time, it becomes an emotional anxiety mm -hmm. thing. You don't go anywhere. Because you're like, or you'll eat at 10 a.m., and then you could go somewhere at three because you have nothing left to eat. But even water, if you drink water, like PJ just had that Pedialyte, that come out too, right? So, yeah, I, I – uh, and then the bathrooms were locked, PJ. They were doing some construction. And the anxiety of what if I – I didn't have to go. But the anxiety of, well, what if I need that bathroom and those bathrooms are locked? That whole mental process made you like a self-fulfilling prophecy, made you go to the bathroom. So, yeah, I was in front of people and they're shocked. They ran out the loading dock. And I, I, I made a decision that day to, to go and see what's going on. And that's when I was given the diagnosis of ulcerative colitis. Did you go to the emergency room? Yeah, we went to the doctor for sure. <laughs> right away. And right away. How much testing did they have to do to figure out the adult? Oh, easy. He's like, no, I know exactly what you have. You did my blood work. You know, it's like you get an irreversible disease called ulcerative colitis. It's autoimmune. Your immune system's attacking and destroying your colon, like RA and other things he explained. He's like, we're going to give you massive doses of prednisone right now, and that's going to shut down the inflammation. And PJ, prednisone on me was just like, it's pure stress hormone, guys. Mm -hmm. So it's cortisol. Imagine if I dump your body with cortisol and. 
because of that, they were saying, he's like, I'm going to give you a prescription for Xanax, diazepam, and Valium. And you take these. And then here's the thing. I got addicted to those. I couldn't sleep without those. How many uh, milligrams of each were you doing? Oh, dude, I don't even remember. But I was taking a full bar of a Xanax every night. So you were doing pretty good. You were doing the Valium, the Xanax, diazepam all at the same time? Um, well, definitely the Xanax and the Valium. Yeah. The, and during I, the day, during the day, the diazepam. If if uh, the because I was on eighty milligrams of prednisone, a lot, which yeah. was like, it's like putting a nuclear reactor in your body. It just felt like like the guys. Imagine it felt like a train was chasing you down. You were running away from a cat. You were in pure fight or flight mode because they were they were putting a, a what's prednisone doing? It's cortisol. What's mm-hmm. cortisol do? It lowers the immune system enough so the immune system couldn't fight itself. So it's actually shutting down the immune system so it wouldn't have an autoimmune effect. So again, that's the issue with medicine is it's just masking symptoms. It's never getting to the root cause of the problem and it's causing other problems. And then they put me on a low dose chemotherapy. They put me on another drug that my liver enzymes were ridiculous. And uh, then the last and only option they had was to remove the colon. They're like, we're going to take out your colon because it was becoming colitis Crohn's or Crohn's colitis. So large intestine, autoimmune disease, it's called ulcerative colitis. When it hits the small intestine, it's considered Crohn's disease. You can have both because as it progresses, you can have both. So I had both. They're yeah, like, we so have a, like- a Jenna Geary. You'll, you'll get to meet her. One of our top yeah. athletes has, uh, has both actually. Yeah. So what sucked PJ with that is like you hear, well, you know, we could take out some of your colon and you'll have a, a colostomy bag for a couple of weeks and then we'll tie it back up. No, this was a full blown. No, dude, we can't do that. You're going to have this bag for the rest of your life. And then and they just paint your life. You're going to be this. You're going to be on this much of medication. This is how much it's going to cost a month. They said I was sterile. I'd never be able to have children. They said you're on so many autoimmune, uh, autoimmune suppressants that we don't know if you'll even get through the surgery. They're going to cut open my bowels and I'm on autoimmune suppressants. So the chances of infection and sepsis, it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. It was so scary. And so you told them. No, I mean, <laughs> no, no, I, I was fighting for life. Like, whatever the fuck I got to do, I'm dying. Like, like I didn't know anything I know now. I'm like, well, I'll do whatever. And so I was about a week and a half away and my mom sends out the pre-mail. So at this time, my mom already, uh, already had two sons that died. Okay. And a husband that died. So my mom, you know, is a prayer warrior for sure. Are these so sons are older or younger than you? All, all older. I was the baby. Okay. So she had, I had a brother who had Down syndrome and he passed away. And then I had a brother who overdosed to heroin. Oh, my mom okay. found him. Well, I mean, mother's into my mom, PJ, quick story. My mom had a gut feeling something was wrong with my brother. She got in her car, drove around Sarasota, Florida, and like, just imagine, and found the house he was at. Like, I was like, it was, it was such a surreal story. And then they broke into the house. And then he was there dead on the floor. Talk about a mother's intuition. Mother's I mean, intuition like, is mind-blowing. Yeah. Dude, dude, like, like guys, I'm telling like, no, she didn't say, well, he might be at these three. No, 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 guys. Imagine if I dump you into Chicago. And I said, listen, uh, you know, there's, this, there's someone in there that needs you. You need to find them. And that's kind of how the odds of that was. Yeah, that's, so, that's mind-blowing. You know, she did the, she did the prayer emails. And my anatomy teacher from 10th grade, so my sophomore year in high school, he's like, listen, I need you when you're down. I, want, I need you to go see my doctor. He's watch this. He goes. He's a corrective care chiropractor. And to me, that was insulting. I was like, "What the hell is that going to do?" Because chiropractic for me was a muscle modality. A guy who taped up my leg or stretched my hamstrings when I played baseball. But I was like, "How's that going to help an incurable terminal like organ disease?" 
And it, I thought he was just a guy trying to help out. You know, when people mean, well, thank you for helping me. I appreciate you. Then I said, I, I appreciate it. I go, but I tried everything. And this was the, the turning point for me. And he looks at me. He's like, you didn't try everything. He goes, because if you tried everything, you would have had your health or you would have had your result. And it woke me up, PJ. It, it cracked the door because he was right. It's like how many times we you'll never realize you become the victim. You don't realize you become hopeless on your own. It you just get there and you don't, you start you don't even realize it. But when he said that, I'm like, oh my god, he's right. I, there's there's got to be something. And so it gave me a little bit of opportunity to say, okay, I'll check this out. And then when I went there, you know, they took X-rays of my spine. I never had lower back pain, but my lower back was trashed. I had a big curvature in it. I had pressure on my brainstem area that controls the immune system and autonomic uh, system. And uh, I saw a blind spot. So I ate right, exercised, but here was a blind spot I didn't know about. And guys, it's always the stuff we don't know about that gets you. There was my blind spots. And then I'm very skeptical. Mike. oh, yeah, so when am I going to get better? Because everybody gave me false hope. And the doctor, this is how badass he was. He's like, listen, as long as you have those problems, your body's not in the environment to be able to heal itself. He goes, but he goes, but when you choose to correct your problem that you have that's affecting your life, then your body will be in the state to be able to heal itself. He's like, but the day and the hour, that's not up to me. That's up to you and your body. But you will get better if you don't quit on yourself, no matter how long it takes. And that was the most honest answer anybody ever gave me because it put all the responsibility on me. And I made that decision. I'm like, well, you know, it's either this or no, or getting my colon ripped out. So I, uh, I went for it. And let me tell you, man, it was a slow down. Like the thing organically with the body, everything is, has a gestational period. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen overnight. And I mean, for weeks, I saw the manifestation of what I didn't want, blood in the toilet. Three months later, I was off half the drugs. Five months later, I'm off all the drugs. And by then, like I'm stabilized. And so I got momentum. But until I got momentum, man, faith was tough, dude. See, the, see, faith is not knowing. But once you see some momentum, you don't need faith in there because you know. But it sucked, dude. And uh, at seven months, my body healed itself from an incurable terminal disease called ulcerative colitis, and that was 18 years ago. That's amazing. Were you working during this, or were you just shut down? It was done, man. I couldn't. Couldn't do anything. Invalid. And, and you had your mom was around to help you out? Yeah, mommy helped me out. Mommy gave me the first loan for my business, too. That's awesome. What about um, girls dating anybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. I got. Uh, I. That's when I uh, was engaged and married to my uh, my my wife at the time, Whitney. All right. So, how so here, you... so here, I'm the knight in shining armor. Or just think, I'm this Mister America looking knight in shining armor, badass, decent career. Um, <laughs> should we get engaged? And I turn into like. A, a nightmare. Yeah. I turn into a nightmare, and she's taking care of me. She personal trained and stuff like that. Now, psychologically, were you down in the dumps because of that, or were you like, "I'm going to beat this. I'm going to beat this." Oh, no, no, no. I, I, I was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can only be positive for so long, but you know, the issue is when you use your five senses. They're telling you when we use our five senses right now, we're seeing the results of things that happened in the past, yep. right? But that's all we have to go on. So it's tough to keep this image of a healthy, strong, vibrant, powerful, healed, go to the back. Like, it's tough to keep that when I keep on seeing blood every day. And uh, But the cool thing with a law of life and the body, the, like laws of life, like gravity, they're not emotional, right? Mm-hmm. So if I didn't believe in gravity and say, I'm going to pray to God so I could fly, gravity doesn't care what I think. <laughs> it's going to act. So 
you know, getting the body in its natural state, it was a loss. So it, it didn't really care about my emotions. But do I believe mental attitude and cortisol and all that plays a role? Absolutely. But guys, it, it was so scary. And I wish I could tell you I was po- – yeah, I read some stuff. But you ever read some positive affirmations and you're just like, you know what? I'm reading words like they're spells, but I, I don't feel it. Because mm-hmm. the thing is the, the intention is what does the – so I'm reading these words of positive affirmations, but my insides are hurting. They're, they're crying out. I just want to be better. And one thing I noticed, PJ, um, I uh, I appreciated health so much more at that time because when you realize what you don't want, you know, I didn't want to be sick anymore. And when you realize what you don't want, you really are able to clarify what you do want. So health was my – health truly became my most important priority. Even though I looked a certain way at one point, health wasn't my priority. You could even see bodybuilding. Like if we really went towards – if we truly wanted to be healthy, the bodybuilding lifestyle at that time competitively – Honestly, wasn't healthy. I mm-hmm. mean, at all, right? So, I health really became my ultimate priority. I stopped drinking, co- you know, caffeine, and and I just tried to let uh, get my body well. So when I got well, I said, now I have an experience in my life. I got through something. I have a story, and so I went back to school, got my doctorate in chiropractic. And that story we we just went over. I I told it tens of five thousand times at least, and I built the largest clinic in the world, uh, the wellness clinic in the world. I think we saw 2,800 people a week. The average office sees 100. So I 28X'd um, the normal office just because I, I was on a mission, an evangelical mission. I literally, it was like Star Wars. I was literally out there like trying to save lives, as many as possible. I would do it anywhere. I, I sacrificed everything to get in front of people and, to, and tell that story. Well, tell me, tell me, I want to know more about that now. So you, you, seven months, you are healed. Yes. And this. And PJ, not remission. Like, don't any doctor give you bullshit that you're in remission. Because remission means what? Well, it's still there. See, they'll never let you out of it. No, it's uh, like uh, at 35, that was 20, at 35, PJ, I couldn't get life insurance. If you have any disease like that, there's no way you're going to get life insurance. Mm -hmm. So. I was like, I haven't taken a drug. This is gone. So I went to a gastroenterologist, paid him 500 bucks, said, I don't want any anesthesia. I'm going to pay you cash. I want a colonoscopy. And I did it awake. <laughs> you know? And he's like, yeah, everything looks great. And I sent him down. I told him my story. He's like, and the same drugs, they, they, they use the same protocol of medication today than they did 18 years ago, proving they have not put any effort into finding something better. So, I mean, I got proof that it was gone, too. And then I got my life insurance. So. Um, wow. Yeah, man. So that that was uh, yeah. They I got healed and I decided to go to school for it. So when you got healed, you were how old? Twenty seven. And you went to school where? Uh, I went to Life University in Marietta, Georgia, and Parker Parker University in Dallas, Texas. Now this uh, the first chiropractor that you went to see. Yes. Do you still speak to him? He has passed away since. Oh, but I'm yes, yes, he was good. He was part of my story. But he. Uh, I can speak about it now, I guess. Uh, but, you know, what happened to him, and this is a mindset thing, guys. He was very successful, super handsome. He got a divorce. And what he did is, um, this is a, a mindset principle. You can never shrink your way to greatness. What I mean by that is, no matter what circumstance hits you, you just got to go bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yes, you want to sit down and, and be a complainant. So he got a divorce. And to hold money from his wife, he chose PJ to make less money and shrink. Like, he would have, you know, this whole thing. And he... He lost his momentum. He gained like 50 pounds doing pills, drinking, died of a heart attack. So it's like, guys, that's an example that no matter what you're facing, 
you may want to go and retreat, but you just got to go big. Yeah. You got to go bigger than ever. Like, prove them wrong. That's, a, that's a great addition to the story, too, because, you know, I, I've, I've never been shy about what happened to me during, during my divorce. Yeah. And I went through yeah. a, a phase of, of really aggressive drinking. And fortunately, my mom just found me at my house and somehow got me 200 and whatever pounds up and into the car and into the hospital. And I came out of there and I just I never looked back. So, um, yeah, you know, it's a new lease and go big and. Uh, yeah, because I think too many people shrink their way. Even now, like I'm hearing people, oh crap, the taxes. You know, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta curtail my earnings. I'm like, no, I'm just gonna make freaking more money. I'm gonna deliver more value to the society and make more money. Exactly. If I gotta pay more taxes, hey, I'm blessed to. Let's yeah. go. Like, uh, but I'm not gonna shrink. You're not gonna shrink. No, I, I, no. I don't understand that that mindset either. That's no. it's. Uh, well, it's sad that he did it to himself, but he played an important role in your life. Dude. So you. You got your doctorate in chiropractic. How fast did you start your mission then, right away? October, uh, September, I graduated. October 2005, I opened up the practice. So September 2005, I graduated. October 2005. But the key was I realized in school, and guys, this is a big entrepreneurship thing. Um, you know, people down school a lot in the student loans. Let me tell you, the 350 grand I spent in student loans to make millions and millions and millions of dollars is the best freaking investment yeah. ever. Um, so you can't look at you can't down school that way. Yeah, there's Gary. There's people that down. Listen, guys, if you use if you use your degree, it's it's amazing. Absolutely. But um, I knew though school was not going to teach me business because chances are I was being taught by teachers who were former doctors that weren't successful. Mm -hmm. So I knew that. So when I was in school, I just knew, hey, pass the test, jump through the hoops, get the piece of paper. The piece of paper allowed me now to become an entrepreneur. It gave me the credential to become an entrepreneur. So during school, I apprenticed offices. I would find an office that was practicing successfully the way I would want to. And I would go to them and I would work with them for free. And I would watch. And in, and just when you're in that environment and you could learn, I really learned then what really worked. And my wife at the time, she worked uh, at one of those offices and learned the insurance and all the other stuff that they don't teach in school. So, I mean, we knew what we needed to do. So I got my piece of paper and we we knew exactly what to do business wise. To uh, we were never in the red, and we just and climbed. The first place was in Texas. First, uh, first and only in Houston, Texas. Yes, in the Woodlands, Texas. I've actually been to that area before. I did a uh, a guest speaking uh, appearance at a gym in. It was outside of the Woodlands. I believe it was in. Uh, does it begin with an M? Something over there. Montgomery County, you know, it might have been Montgomery Humble. County. There was a place called uh, uh, HCP Barbell, I believe it was called, and uh, they did a lot of football players. It was uh, it was a cool, it was a cool. I, I remember that everybody was so uh, appreciative and polite, and uh, it was cool to see how football was there because I had all these young and big football players came up, sh shook my hand after, and they were like, "Thank you." The parents were. I, I taught them about basic nutrition, you know, to help them get into college, you know get better scholarships and be better football players. And then even, even, even some of the kids that they brought in that were like 14 years old were like these beasts. <laughs> and I was, it was amazing. <laughs> BJ, I have a farmer, you know, we get all our, I get all my food local farmed here. And uh, Jason, the farmer, dude, the guys literally got 10 inch wrists. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. It's like, cause he drinks raw milk. Like these guys, these kids, these farm boys, like their bone density. It's like, I look at their hands. They're like catcher's mitt for mm -hmm. hands. I'm like, Holy cow. These guys are, they're just dense. So You're when like, you uh, when you opened the place, it was just you and your wife. Yeah, well, yeah, Whitney and I, and, and we uh, we did that, and 
And uh, I try to do what other practices did. In fact, when I was and my one one thing, when I went to this area, I tried to reach out and connect with other chiropractors, and just like, hey, you know, we have something in common. And they absolutely discouraged me. One guy I loved it. One guy is like, you're just going to be a small tadpole in a really, really big pond. I love that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so I wound up owning the whole fucking pond. So <laughs> it's, it's pretty good. And uh, um, it just motivated. Then I realized I can't talk to these people. I got to run my own race. And the key for me is I was still very scared and introverted. And I tried to um, impress people with information and not story. And I would have the PowerPoints and the shiny objects and I, one day I was asked to speak at a rotary event here. And in the rotary, they had some oil guys, they had some doctors. And so I had what I call imposter syndrome. If you guys know what imposter syndrome is, it's when you walk into a room and you feel, I really don't belong here. You feel like an imposter. And it's just a, a low self-esteem, low self-value uh, delusion. And uh, I forgot all my props. I forgot my PowerPoint. I forgot my script. You know, I used to read out of a book. And I was going to flake and leave. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go in there because I was trying to impress these people. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go in there. I'm just going to tell my story. I go because no one could call bullshit on my story. No one could tell my story better than me because it's my story. Like I own that. It was the first time I got a standing ovation. It was the first time people came up with cash saying, I want to put a deposit down for uh, an appointment. And since that right day, I threw away all the PowerPoints and all the bullshit. And I uh, – then I just told my story, but at the same time, tell my story like I do here. I'm able to sidestep and teach a principle, or sidestep and then educate at the same time through context of story. And uh, when I'm talking about shitting my pants and all this other stuff in front of everybody, you know, it's very healing. I mean, like when you're able to share and open up your heart and share the deepest, darkest secrets, it's a level of uh, connection that you'll get with an audience and people that that's unparalleled. And at the end of that talk, people were sitting there and whether they liked the chiropractic idea or not, all I knew is they said, that's the dude that I want to take care of my health and my family's health. So that became the rapport uh, mechanism that speaking and telling your story and sharing your your most uh, troubled times to the world uh, in a beautiful, heroic uh, hero's journey. And when you first told the story and you got this standing ovation, how did you then say – so it was so positive, you say to yourself, well, I got to get my story out there more. How did you then go and get your story out more? Then uh, I, I was willing to speak anywhere. And here I was a kid who never wanted to speak a word. So I put uh, I, in all the Jason's delis and stuff, I put win a free lunch, you know, so I could speak at offices. I, I put on dinners. So at Macaroni Grill, it was Macaroni Grill at the time, mm-hmm. we'd advertise and on Facebook and stuff and fill those dinners up. You know, uh, my patients would bring people to a dinner and I would buy them dinner and tell my story and sign them up. And I, uh, I, we, we grew 2000 visits in 19 months, which was ridiculous. It was this. huge. This is great. This is great. Huge. It's so fun. And why isn't it like that now? Because, you know, the cloud moves, you know, you're, you're onto other things, you know, my, my passion, um, is moving elsewhere. Well, there's no social media back then. So you had to go all over the place. You had to do these things. Yeah. But it was so worth it. It was hard easy. I'm so glad I went hard then because now when I – it just it feels like I'm benching 7,000 pounds and, and <laughs> benching more is not going to do it. But it was nice that it built such a momentum and such a, uh, a referral-based lifetime type of practice. Come COVID, no worries, man. We're still open. It's still busy, right? Because it's just I built such a culture. So from 2005 till now – it's progressed, obviously, in, in 15 years. The, the place has got to be considerably different. 
you know, tell me what's so different about the place from when you've just started it till now. I mean, you must have a a bunch of different people working for you. I mean, is it all just the same office still? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the volume, the volume is not nearly as high. It's probably half or a little bit less than half Mm -hmm. because my energy, my, 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 not that I don't have energy. My energy isn't there. Like I take full responsibility. I knew that like, I just don't want to do as many talks. I I was Mm -hmm. doing four or five talks a week. I just don't want to do that anymore. I'm, I I wouldn't even say I'm burnt out. I don't believe in that, but I would definitely say that I did it and I want to do something bigger and better and and more awesome. And I realized that I had a very personality-driven practice, so I had a Superman syndrome going on, meaning that, PJ, I couldn't leave my office without getting emails. You left me. I could Any associate I brought in, he doesn't adjust like you, this and that. So I was like, wow. So I started resenting that. And so now I'm transitioning into a model of, I want to be more of a Wizard of Oz. I want to be behind the scenes, almost a phantom, and have a, a system running it because the you know your personality could drive it. It could make it huge, but then uh, you're you're somewhat uh, chained to the to the business. Mm-hmm. And I I just uh, in this time of my life, I want to travel, have fun, have great relationships, and explore the world. You know. So, with where you were when you were sick, to then starting the business and having all the success. Where did the parts where you started getting into these more experimental and modern types of of medicine, when did all this come to play? I would say in the last three years, because what was happening is like I was getting a little bit tired of doing the same thing. I felt like when I guys, when I say the cloud was moving, you know, my purpose was was morphing and changing to something bigger and better for a bigger impact. And that's when I started, I moved to Utah for two years. I started the I Am Hero Project, was this whole online kind of self-mastery type of, uh, very, very uh, counter-dogmatic type of, you know, logic that uh, uh, a personal development. So I love that. I still will get into personal development or like life coaching, but on a group scale. And then I came back to Houston to pick up the practice again because the associates had dropped it. And so I was like, ah, you know, like the Godfather, I got to go back in. And uh, but then during that time, I'm like, okay, so now it's time to create multiple streams of income. You know, I want to how many multiple streams of income can I have in just one location? So my mom, uh, she was having issues with her knees. She was 80 at the time. And they said, listen, you need either two knee replacements. She's 80 or opioids for pain. And the doc's like, I don't think either one's an option for you. So then we tried. I heard Mel Gibson. Uh, talk about his 92-year-old dad who got stem cell therapy. And absolutely, his dad went from the Mayo Clinic, gave his dad 10 days, to now his dad's 102 years old. Wow. So it's like, ooh, stem cells. So I got my mom some stem cells. Nine months later, she's walking three miles a day. And right? what kind so of stem like, cells did, did she get? Uh, Morton's jelly, the umbilical cord tissue. Mm-hmm. Not and from I, the bone I, marrow. I, from, from all the research that I've done, it is far more... So for the layman's out there, there's different sources that you will see doctors that are that are promoting stem cells. So you have your own stem cells, which they'll drill into the bone okay. marrow for. But the issue that I see with those is, let's say you're 50 years old, and they're going to drill into your 50-year-old bone. For starters, that's invasive and it's painful, and you got 50-year-old stem cells. Right. Versus getting it from the umbilical cord, you've got these brand new, fresh, and, 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 and far more, from what I understand, stem cells. Yeah. I know a combination is good because now because what starts to happen legally now to for me to say we do stem cells, we have to they only recognize wink wink that it has to come from your own bone marrow. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we have to do procedurally 
you know, a combination of bone marrow with the umbilical cord tissue alongside of it uh, to get kind of a one-two punch to supercharge their own um, uh, bone marrow. So, yeah, we started doing that. That was tremendous, and it was great. So I would just speak. See, that's my, my zone of genius. I'll do the speaking. I'm And I was so nice, PJ, because like, hey, I'm Chris. I'll be your educator today. It was so nice. Like, it's amazing. Like, it's so nice to be the, hey, I'm just, I'm just your educator, you know. And, like, so I took that, that whole doctor thing uh, off my shoulders, and then we brought in decompression. We did this, and then the stem cell arena also – uh, went into the male vitality, which I'm. That's going to be my next uh, act for sure. But it's going to be more like of a a James Bond, Playboy esque male vitality type of concierge service, where, you know, it's it's sexy and it's about male vitality. It's about, you know, like being like Sylvester Stallone when you're 75, yeah. and not being like this very medically white coat stethoscope. And uh, so, and then we also opened up a medical tourism in Cancun which uh, deals with two types of patients, the, the no-option patients, PG, the people that America's like, sorry, we can't do anything for you. And then they do a, the surgeon there does stem cell in the, in the, in the brain and the spinal cord. Just had a gentleman, C4 fracture, paralyzed from C4 down. He's moving his arms Amazing. and he's starting to move his legs again. So just a great stuff there. And then the other track is going to be just kind of like for the real elite, you know, people want to come in and just have massive preventative regeneration uh, therapies done, getting the stem cells, doing the stuff just to keep youth and vitality going. And we could do all that there. Uh, the only thing we cannot talk about is cancer and autism. That's and the two things we cannot. Why can you not? Just the bullshit. The rules like Mexico's like, you can't talk cancer, you know, cause the, and that's fine. We'll give that to the Gerson Institute in Tijuana. They're, they, they saw over 60,000 cancer patients have them and autism because you know, it's a, a tough subject. We're dealing with kids, kids, and it's about detoxing heavy metals out of the brain, potentially from vaccination. So you get into, you know, it's you get into a niche that needs to be more specialized. But I mean, blind, you know, blindness, dementia, Alzheimer's, spinal cord injuries, joints, of course, uh, intravenous. We could do IV stem cells there. You cannot do that in the states. So you could dump forty million in there if you had to, and in, in, intravenously. And this guy, uh, he's 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 amazing. The doctor we work with there, and I just love Cancun, man. It's beautiful. It is. I mean, and, last time I was oh. there was in college, and I was hammered the whole time, so I don't remember it the same way. So uh, I'd like to get it's back. Beautiful. There. It's so nice. It's so classy. I'm sure it's much different than when I was at Senior Frogs. <laughs> They're so nice. So yeah. So I, I'm very excited about those things, and you know, COVID brought that out. That's what I enjoyed when COVID hit. You start thinking, hey, wait a second, you know. Like a brother of mine, he had a, an, an entertainment business. He put on events for 35 years in New York. Overnight, had to shut it down. So it's like, wow, you know. So do I have enough multiple streams of income coming in to where, you know, any? Because we, I, I just know. Well, I saw how quick the world shut down. It'll happen again. So I want to make sure I have. Uh, I never have to worry about that again. Very and so important. It, that's what you do. So you take again. You go big, right? COVID. A lot of uh, yes. I wanted to go small. I complained like a bitch. For a couple of days, and then you're just like, no way, man. Let's let's freaking, you know, go be counterintuitive and go really, really big because plenty of companies made billions because of COVID. So I'm like, no, I I I deserve to be one of those companies that um, only expands during trial times. Absolutely, so we we have we, there's so much benefit to my dad being here because my dad is the classic worrier and it's <laughs> it's really good to have that because it gives you 
a different perspective. If you're always out there, I'm going to take over the world. So when COVID first hit, I mean, I'm talking the first week. Yeah, man, we're he, scared. We're like, that's biological terrorism or something. He sat me down and he was like, we're going to have to talk about downsizing and letting people go. And I was like, we're not talking about that after one, after one week. And he was like, it's, it's realistic. And I said, listen, I will forego my salary for however long it takes, which I have done before in, in the past. And it's not to, you know, hype myself up or anything, but sometimes as, as the boss, you got to do those type of things. I said, I, I know that we'll get through this. David and I, who is the gentleman that was here setting up the audio, that's my VP and head of marketing. And uh, he's also, uh, I tell people he's, he's a certifiable genius. He won't admit it. I said, David and I are going to come up with some plans of things that you can do from home and uh, let us figure that out. And uh, one of the first things that we, that we figured out was the you know, at-home workout. And we released that the first week and we got 10,000 downloads. And of those 10,000 downloads, over 5,000 of them were new customers that had never purchased anything before. And then of those 5,000, 3,000 purchased again in 30 days. So we actually, and I don't, I try not to talk too much about this with the, with the, the climate of the world is, right, right, right. is we actually kind of were, were thriving during that period, but we, we had to figure out other ways of making it happen. So um, when, when, and I say this in a way that I, that I mean it to be positive, although it could come across negative, is when there are times of peril and people give up, there are people that will evolve. And the people that will evolve will figure out how to really evolve and come out on top. And, you know, it's, it's sad to see the people that go down that, you know, go down, but it, it leaves more opportunity for the people that want to evolve to make other things happen. Now there are a couple of things that I think that we might have skipped over that I have to talk about sure. with you. Yeah, it's just- the one that the one that that it's always in my mind and it, it's it's on my mind pretty much every time we talk mm-hmm. is I call it the dirty diaper story. Yes, <laughs> and uh, I want I want to get it. I didn't even, I don't even know how to segue into that after all the stuff that we talked about. Yeah, but I want you to teach us all about. For, well, I don't even know the proper medical terminology for what you did and how you did it, but I, I've been really just stuck on this since, since you've done it. What a, what a cool story this what? is. Which one? The dirty diaper. When you took your son's diaper. Oh, yeah, yeah. To get a whole new uh, ecosystem. All right. So this is about doing whatever it fucking takes. So... <laughs> So, um, <laughs> this is a fucking, excuse my language. Yeah. Awesome story. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, my first son, justice, he had cradle cat and it was like, Oh, is this a staff thing? What's going on here? It's like a, it's, you know, is it something it's, it's a, it's an internal thing going on. And, and we talked to someone he's like, yes, the mother is able to pass that through. So it was with Whitney, you know, she, her system was off and that was passing it through. She, my kids were breastfed for two and a half years each. Right. So it was being uh, passed on through, um, to justice. And, and he's like, you know, the guy's like, what does really great things to restore the microbiome of the gut is fecal transplants. And what that was is because they're like a probiotic of acidophilus and all these three other strains. It's like, 
there's thousands and thousands of different strains and fungus and bacteria, like all these things to create the microbiome. So you're not going to get that in your basic uh, on-the-shelf non-refrigerated probiotic mm -hmm. <laughs> or sauerkraut. So he's like, so there's fecal transplants. And I'm looking at uh, my ex at the time. I'm like, what the fuck is this guy talking And then he has the audacity <laughs> to say, I'm like, well, where, where do you get this stuff from? He's like, well, you want to find it from a good donor that has a healthy microbiome. And I looked, I, I wrote on a piece of paper to my ex. I'm like, he's going to try to sell us his shit. Sure enough. He's like, well, you know, I could help you guys out. I'm like, sorry. Wow. So that was the thing, knowing that. So I, I looked up fecal transplants, and it's like with people with ulcerative colitis, with all these other things, with, uh, I mean, amazing stuff. Like a hospital, like, this is not like like hospitals do this now. That Like they do it for Crohn's and colitis and, and, and uh, SIBO and all these uh, all these infections. So it's, it's legit, medical legit. And so uh, one day, uh, you know, it was just like when I was getting better, you know, I would have like even though I beat colitis, I would have certain times where I felt that, oh, shit, you know, you know, something's coming back. So I was having a couple of weeks. I remember <laughs> PJ, I'll tell you when it happened. It was when it was when uh, uh, Gaspar had those two products like size on and, and super pump. <laughs> yeah, that'll make you shit, dude. It's it, it destroyed my gastrointestinal yeah, tract. shit. I was just going through me, going through me. Then I'm like, oh, my God. And then in your mind, you're like, that fear comes back. I don't want to go through this again. I beat this. What the hell's going on? I got a career. I got kids. So I had a, a, a <laughs> I had a one-year-old at the time, Titus. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, well. Great name. You know, who who has a perfect digestive system? I'm like, this kid has just been breastfed. Uh, he's got, you know, he's breastfed. He's got no vaccines. And like, he's just as pure as pure could get. <laughs> so I remember, I'm like, hey, wait, you know, my ex, I'm like, next dirty diaper. Like, that's the whole one. Like, you got to give it to me. And she's like, for a while. I'm like, just, 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 because I didn't want to tell what I was doing. So I got it, right? And then, <laughs> you know, you fuck, you know, you put it in a, in, in a ninja or one of those little things, you know, blend it up. I put it in an enema bucket. Now, guys, I was going to the bathroom. It was me. It was getting bad. I, I, I did the enema with that, and I retained it. You got to retain it. In 24 hours, it was perfect. It was How perfect. long did you retain it for? Uh, for I, Forever. I'm not going to let it. Like I, you know, it was probably like not that much fluid. I got in there, and I just retained it. And, uh, yeah, and it was like that. Amazing. So at his wedding, I'm so going to tell that story. <laughs> you have to. Now, Toast, please. To <laughs> now, where has yeah. that where has that type of procedure evolved to now? Oh, MD Anderson everywhere. Cancer treatments everywhere. And you can just go in and what are they Absolutely. What, and but where are they getting the the clean the the you know the right feces from? Well, well they get they get donors and they and they screen it for like infections and stuff like that. I'm I'm you know and that they so it's almost like a, a prepared formula that they put in there yeah but it's it's you could do it anywhere can't they do that during cancer treatments chemotherapy it's it's routine now and is it it's done routine. like with a suppository now um there's two ways they do it pj sometimes they do a lot of the patients that have the intra you know the nose to feed the stomach mm -hmm. they'll put it through there wow um capsules will all do enema if it's cold but a lot of times they do it um you know through the nose wow 
Amazing. Just, because they already have that. But yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's a routine thing now. It helps cancer patients because chemo destroys all that stuff. It gets them through a lot of stuff. And even vets do that now. We had a, especially, you know, a lot of you guys with vets, like your dog, you know, if, if their bowel's not correct, you could ask a vet, hey, listen, do you do fecal transplants? You find one. And uh, it really helps out for sure. Yeah, I'd, I had not, uh, uh, of all the, the research I've done, I have not heard about that until you told me. And I yeah. was super interested see nothing nothing freaks me out people are always like this these things don't freak you out nothing freaks me out i it doesn't freak me out to mainline my own veins with my ivs the the idea of putting clean poo into my own butt to make myself better doesn't <laughs> freak me out at all and uh the other thing well there's there's two more things but the other uh as far as the health side goes the other thing yeah, i wanted yeah. to talk about is when did you first get into ozone therapy how long ago did you did you start how did you do it, and where has that evolved since then? Yeah, so ozone therapy, again, my friends were doing, you know, the ones who beat cancer. They, he's like, yeah, they do ozone therapy. It's interrectal for one to two minutes a day. I'm like, great, sign me up. Where do I get it? So that was just an easy, I'm just going to add this into my life. And uh, that was an easy, you know, uh, thing to add. And probably five years I've been doing that now. And I'm strong as, you know, just great. Anytime I feel run down or something like that i might do an extra time but that just became pj just like a, that that it just extra added preventative uh maintenance for my health tip not that i needed it for that one thing but i just knew the benefits of it and i'm like hey for one and a half minutes one and a half minutes you know to turn the thing on and uh the one minute and be done uh it was it was a no-brainer for me for that's very small investment. But were you already doing the coffee enemas before that? Yes, yes. Well, no, I, I started all this at the same time. Okay. So my friends went there. In Spain, they did coffee enemas. They did ozone therapy. They did hyperthermia where the tumor sites were. Mm -hmm. They induced a fever in the area of the tumor because they said a fever is your body's natural. It brings the immune system. It recharges it to actually fight it. Um, they were in Marbella. They had them do three to four hours of sunlight every single day uh, naked. You know, just basically in their backyard, they mm -hmm. like just to get as much sun, uh, sun as possible. And uh, I'm like, so what type of – how about this? I'm like, so what nutrition? Were you eating greens food? They're like, no, we were eating like lamb and Guinness beer, you know, like, like, like lager beer and stuff like that. So it was the protocols they were doing. And I was like, well, great. I'll get ozone. Um, I couldn't do IV ozone, but I – you know, they did I, vitamin C, like 50,000, 60,000, you know, milligrams of, of vitamin C. Or yeah, I think it was uh, is it grams or there's, there's a lot. So they were dosing yeah. them with vitamin C therapy, and these guys uh, they did it. And they're like sent them home. And they say these are the things you could actually do at home. Uh, even even the point where flaxseed oil enemas to super oxygenate the cells to make them more positively charged to kill off the negatively charged cancer cells. So they just had a whole way of looking at, at bringing the host of the body to an environment where it was the best. It would be best adaptable to fight. A disease process and so that's where I, I brought the ozone in and the coffee enemas because the coffee enemas here's the thing with that and I was like wow you stick a lot of stuff up your ass I know dude but when you lose your health yeah I'll take it I'll take it mm -hmm. See, that's the thing like you know that stuff all that shit pun intended uh, it freaks you out until you're like dude I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get well and mm -hmm. when you have a digestive issue thing going on all the supplements or whatever I take, it's not getting absorbed anyway. Mm -hmm. So you got to kind of go the other way. So the coffee enema, what that happened was um, when they started using that, it helps the coffee enema. It dilates the portal vein of the liver and it makes your liver purge the toxins. Your liver makes three-fourths, uh, three, 
ports to the right side of your body. It's like a filter. And when that thing gets clogged and it's not purging to your large intestine, it gets congested. So uh, earlier days when they were doing a lot of natural cures with cancer and they were eating a lot of raw juice vegetables and green juices, the cancer was dying off, the body was healing, but all the dead cells and, and, and the disease cells were getting pushed into the liver, but the liver wasn't able to dump it, so people actually died quicker because their liver was failing. Mm. So they started entering in the coffee enema that dilated the portal vein of the liver, making the gallbladder and liver flush out those toxins for 16 minutes, and they did it every four hours because that was, you know, that every four hours they did that, and people just started beating it like this, beating it like that. So I'm like, okay, great. I, I learned the importance of not only colon health, but a lot of us don't realize liver health, especially as bodybuilders. Mm -hmm. uh, liver health is tremendous because liver, just think of liver, it's like the filter of your body. And when that, 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 when that thing gets clogged, it congested, and it's just, you're, and it can't methylate, like your body's not going to work correctly. So I started incorporating that. Uh, I think the beginning of PG, I did like once a week or twice a week. And then I got, I just, my life changed. That was the, like, if you want to talk about something life changing, it's funny, um, just to let you know if there's any ladies listening, uh, that's my first, I always got to talk about that on the first date. I'm like, hey, just got to get this out of the way. What's the, what's the weirdest thing you do? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, let me just tell you, because I got to get out of the way because I got to get out of the way because, you know, if we go on a trip or something, like I'm bringing this with me. Yeah. And two, um, I went up, I went up converting them and they become uh, like, they love it. So it just becomes something where, it just fresh, like you're clear thinking. You're, and plus, your liver holds, believe it or not, guys, uh, Chinese medicine says that's where you hold a lot of anger, right? And um, I really be, I, I really noticed a difference just on metaphysical levels of that as well. So I just, again, incorporated in my routine. That's another that's 16 minutes. That becomes my morning reading session or whatever it takes. But uh, I incorporate that all for just always keeping that liver health. So I take my liver supplementations and then those uh, to, to flush it out as well. And he has gotten me uh, hooked as well. So I do my coffee enemas every morning. And then I do my ozone therapy. And you guys know I do my IVs multiple times a week. Now, we didn't talk about, we have to, because this is still, yeah. this is still yeah. a bodybuilding show. When you got your pro card. Yes. What year was it? Who was coaching you? What went through your mind? Yeah. And where do you go from there? Great story. So, um so remember, guys, I got sick. So my last show was a Southeastern, and I never had closure in bodybuilding. I got sick, and I never got my pro card. So uh, I was 36, 35 years old, 36 years old, and one of my associates was getting ready for a physique competition, the Phil Heath Classic right here in, uh, in Houston. And he was dieting down, and at this time, PJ, I was eating all raw. I had three green juices days, days and a salad. And and I I would had one raw egg yolk for some cholesterol, so I was a, I was I chose to be 150 pounds, like that <laughs> was on purpose. But man, I felt great. But man, I was white and I was I was gray and I yeah, I was not good. So he was competing, and PJ one day after 17 months of eating raw, I'm like, you know what? I feel good. I go, I wonder if I still got it, right? And because uh, I was bored, the reason why I was I was bored at work. I was super successful, and it was easy. But so the thing is, like, we don't want easy, guys. We always want challenge. We want to grow. So instead of getting into what I say, instead I told, uh, instead of getting into into porn, alcohol, drugs, or something reckless, I said, well, I need to grow somewhere. So I said, let me see. 
if I got it. So I started the next day, boom, I brought protein back in and the muscle memory came back. I got it to 164 and then I got up to like what I, and I competed at the, um, the Europa Dallas Europa and I won the middleweight and I won the, uh, the, uh, the, the entire masters overall. Then I went to the masters nationals and I got second and I was so close. That's uh, my pro card. And if they, uh, and, and, uh, I said, okay, all right. So I go 10 months from now, like I got 10 months. So immediately at that show, I called John Meadows because mm-hmm. I saw, because what he does, he would post, here's what the guys ate and they all had carbs in it. Now the coach I was with at the time, it was zero carbs, but one tiny meal before bed one night. And dude, it was like two hours of cardio, zero carbs. So when I saw John's people had carbs in, I'm like, oh my God, I talked to this guy. So I, I dieted, I say I dieted in the off season because I didn't, I mean, I dieted in the off season. I mean, like I, what I mean by it is like I ate, you know, I didn't mess around like that. I, I, I had a I focused on the diet to gain the weight and drop the weight. And then I think 10 months later, I competed at 198 at the team universe, won that, got my pro card. Then the week after I did the Charlotte pro 212. And uh, I just didn't want to get last, and I was uh, 12th out of 13th because <laughs> a 52-year-old guy showed up. So like, <laughs> Who won that show? Uh, Dobre, uh, Dobre, a Bulgarian dude. Okay. Dobre something like, dude, these guys, it's like you could sink four knuckles deep into there. I was like, it was ridiculous. You look. <laughs> yeah, some of these some of these 212 guys, they're, you know, they're 5'3", and they're, they're just so, so packed they're- with muscle slaps and that was a great experience so imagine like for me the pro show was i just turned pro i remember that night doing cardio I said hey i'll do the charlotte pro next week and i was so happy and excited i was like a spectator on the stage it was like a a total fan you know there but was that's such a great Jackson. it's a full circle story i love hearing stories like yeah, that yeah you know, and you... then uh, since then you know and then i made john my accountability partner i think in every in every year of your life that you want to be successful in where i have been i had a coach or an accountability partner Meaning that every Monday I send pictures, and you know how many pizzas and cookies were not eaten because I know well Monday I got to send a picture, and so that accountability uh, has been absolutely worth uh, worth everything. So, and the areas in my life that I wasn't successful, I did not have a coach or an accountability. So partner. do you, so you still on Mondays send your pictures to Meadows? Yep. yep. Wow. Well, shout out to John Meadows, the Mountain Dog. He knows I love him now. That's the that's the picture that's the picture I sent you. Like you know like that that was my my chicken picture wow and let me tell you the picture he sent me i thought he was yeah. getting on stage he looks ridiculous i mean you can tell when you see him here that he's lean but i mean the guy is really really lean it's impressive well, every year i love the process of, of dieting for a show i don't necessarily like the show so no every you're just year, like it's, me. it's the up and down carve it out i like to carve all the fat off and i believe carving the fat off makes it easier to come off and i actually pj was able to change the quote-unquote thermostat of my body where here I was a guy who couldn't eat, really eat carbs, where I could have carbs six meals a day, don't need this cardio to stay pretty lean. So it's like when you get a coach, trust your like listen to your coach and allow that relationship over time. You can honestly, it takes years, so it could train the body to be different. So that's why I, I said that here I thought I was uh, this endo, but now um, you know I'm able to hold uh, eat carbs. It's really nice dude, to, to slowly over time be able to train the body to perform and I'm 44. So here it's, you know, almost, you know, nine years later, I'm, I'm able to, I, I've never been able to get away with as much as I am now. Well, 
I always tell people that no matter who you're working with, whatever their plan is, unless you just absolutely hate what you're doing, in which case you shouldn't be doing it anyway, you've got to commit to your plan and stick to your plan. But if you have the kind of relationship with bodybuilding, for instance, where you're learning yourself and your coach is your eyes and you're learning together, as long as there's an open communication on everything that you're doing, you can figure out what is perfect for you because not everybody is exactly the same. So people ask me all the time, well, what's the best for this? And what's the best for that? I said, listen, I can give you an answer that's probably 80% accurate, but you yourself might be able to find something a little bit better. You've got to be on this plan to figure it out first. And so many people don't do that because they're gonna ask this person, then they're gonna ask that person, and they're, well, I like what this guy said about oh, this sucks. a little bit better, and yeah. you can't do that. Um, this is why I, I often, you know, I, I know I'm regarded as, as a, a good coach, but when I know that people have coaches, I won't answer their questions. And I just tell them, go, go ask your coach. And I don't mean it in a dismissive way. I just know that what I say might be very different and I don't want to disrespect anybody. So my opinion doesn't really matter if you've been working for somebody else all this time and you're just asking me a, a general question. Yeah. Um, I think it's great that you still talk to uh, John and send him pictures and everything. That accountability is, is huge. Oh, it's it's one of those things. But I, I have someone like that in, in – all areas of my life that that uh, I that I value, you know. There's some type of I gotta I gotta show up to them in a certain way to show that I'm on the plan. And I'm listening to them, so I'm very coachable. You know, that's the thing. I think it's huge. Like, a, just give me the target and I'll go for it. But it also keeps me uh, it keeps me focused. That's good. So now we've covered all these different things. Where is the future? taking you we'll close the show out on a, well it's, yeah. we've had a lot of high, high points but yeah, yeah where are you going now where are you soaring off to now right well let me tell you that story that i wanted to tell you okay when you said are you italian and stuff like that this is a good one so <laughs> um my uh a, a boy was found on an orphanage in a bag a duffel bag right so he's in the orphanage an italian orphanage in a duffel bag for 16 years never got adopted and they didn't know his name, so they called him Duffelbag for 16 years. And wound up having a family. They came to the States. And so my grandfather's name, that's where the name Zeno comes from. Zeno means Duffelbag. Wow. Yeah, right? So what was meant for a circumstance really has changed. My son, they interviewed my son. No like, what's your, what's your name mean? He goes, Winner. I was like, holy shit. Like, so it's amazing how, like, no matter what circumstance you felt you were born in, that's not the... That's not the final say. You know, you have all the authority to change that. And so I always wondered, what, how does that happen? How's a, how do you put a baby, your baby, in a duffel bag and put him on an orphanage uh, steps? And then recently when I got my DNA done, it showed that I was 70% uh, Middle Eastern, Egyptian, Mediterranean, and 27% Italian. Wow. And so I put the two and two together. Back in the day, you had an Italian and an Arab. They made it. They had a kid, and they were probably, whether it be religious reasons or whatever, probably more religion. Mm -hmm. They had to give that baby up. And so that was uh, that was the origins of my story. I can't even get Italian citizenship. I wanted Italian citizenship, but they said, you know, we don't have a, a family tree to really see who's who. But yeah, so that was. Uh, so I, I uh, that was my story. So here, my dad, who I said thought he was this hundred percent Italian, he had no clue. He was half uh, Middle Eastern. That is amazing. That yeah. is truly amazing. Now, how would you go if you wanted to make this a mission? How would you go to find the lineage of his family? 
from the duffel bag. I, I tried to. I hired a guy to get Italian citizenship. He's like, well, we can't get that. I mean, a buddy of mine was like a quarter Italian. He gets freaking citizenship for him and his his uh, kids. So and we, uh, uh, he's like, well, I could go deeper, but the orphanage right here, it, just, it goes back to here. I, I don't got nothing bef- before this. And the orphanage is where? In Italy. <laughs> and, but they don't, they, the duffel bag just showed up there. It was a baby in a duffel bag. Wow. So just imagine you threw like you ever hear like you hear a puppy in a bag. No, yeah. it was a kid on the steps of an orphanage and they called him duffel bag. Thank God he was okay. I mean that, that story could have yeah. we wouldn't be sitting here speaking yeah, to each other. Be, no, no. That's so I just love I love I lo- I think everybody should know your origin story. Absolutely. I did I did the the, the me twenty three. I was just with with everything that's going on in the world, I just wanted a I just wanted a little bit of black. <laughs> I was like, give me like two yeah. percent black. I, I got, I, I got Iranian. They, they gave me, but that's all. I, that's all I got. So, I work with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, I, I truly appreciate you taking the time. I knew that we were going to talk for for longer than an hour. I don't know how long it was. Uh, we, we messed around a little bit in the beginning. Not too, too bad. Um, but everything that we talked about was very, very insightful. Plus, what's good about this kind of podcast is it opens the doors for other podcasts on these specific subjects, which I love to do. So the next time you guys see uh, Dr. Cristiano up here with me, we are going to be doing some cool stuff with the ozone therapy because I've gotten really passionate with it, um, but I like to have experts around me at all times. And I think that that in in life, my grandpa told me once when I was young, he said, if you are the uh, smartest guy in the room, that you'll never prosper in life, you'll never grow. In life, you got to find people that are that are better than you in certain areas, and you learn from them. And so, I went to Dr. Chris because I needed some help with a couple of things, and I've learned a lot already. And uh, hopefully, I can return the favor to him in certain ways. But this is just opening up the door for so many new things that we have going on beyond just our our friendship. And uh, so, I expect you'll see a lot more with Dr. Chris, more than just the podcast. That's for sure. It really, awesome. I appreciate you guys. And you know, I always tell you, PJ, and everybody I'm, who's watching this, I always vote for your victory. Thank you. You know, your victory, and and really like, just let you know when you guys, if you guys are watching, and you inst- and you get me on Instagram, and you message me, you know, I'm always going to come from a place of non judgment, and I just vote for your victory, and that's uh, so that's where you could contact. I think Instagram is the best place. That's you know, I'm not selling nothing. Just message me, see what's up. There you go. That's a great guy right there. He wants to talk to you. Uh, me, on the other hand, if you're in my DMs, it better be with, <laughs> with nudes or because you want to buy some of my products. Right, right, right. And right. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Chris. I will talk to you very soon. I really appreciate Good. it, though. Great show. You're the best, guys. Awesome. Thanks so much. God bless.